I want you to open your Bible tonight, first of all, to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, and then we'll go to Numbers chapter 23. So you may want to find both of those. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, and Numbers chapter 23. Hebrews 10.33 contains something that is contained four times in the Bible. The Bible speaks of this same thing four times in four different books in the Bible. And it said this, Now the just shall live by faith. That part. Now, if your Bible says that, you got a good version of it. If it doesn't, you got the wrong one. It says, the just shall live by faith. Do you all believe that? Would you agree with me tonight that when a person has been forgiven of their sins, that they have been what we call saved? They have been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light, out of the miry clay into the courts of God and so forth. That when God has brought a person out of all of that and brought him to himself, that there's a mandate on that person's life now to live by faith. It says the just, because the just are those that have been made right. Nobody was right, but those that have been made right with the Lord. Only God can make us right with him. No man is right, but God makes us right because of what Jesus did. And everybody that has been made right, your Bible says, is to live by faith. You could say it like this, if you understood what I'm talking about or what this is about. He is to live faithfully towards God. He is to be faithful in the way he lives with regard to God and what he says. He is faithful. He honors what God says by living as though it's true. Because that's what faith is. Faith accepts as true what is not revealed to your senses. Like the Bible says in Hebrews 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Moses in Hebrews 11, the Bible says, endured as seeing him who is invisible. Couldn't see him, but believed in him. And what he believed was a cause of action in his life. I must live by what I have learned from him so that in this way, I honor him. I'll be faithful to him. That's why at the end of a man's life, the one thing you want to hear God say to you is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We lived on his terms, doing things his way. But I want to make the point, the just shall live by faith. Now, to me, it seems like that down through the years from when I started this Christian life, it seems like in the recent decades from, again, for me, 44 years ago, there, there has been somewhat of a decline in the enthusiasm of Christians to walk by faith, to talk about it, uh, to discuss it. Not all of them, of course. There's still quite a few people that do. But it seems like where there used to be almost everybody did, it seems like not so many do today even understand what faith is all about or what, is, what it's all about. Once this was called a movement, there was called a faith walk, a faith movement. And I remember the days when I was, got saved, when I was a school teacher, a high school basketball coach and all of that, and came face to face after salvation with a message I was not familiar with. Of course, I don't think I was familiar with many of them except the stone was rolled away in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. But I came face to face, not because I was looking for it, not because I was trying to find something new. I just began reading my Bible after I got saved. Didn't know anything. I never really listened to much. I'm sure I was taught some things. I never paid attention to it. Quite ignorant of truth. But I had a hunger for it. And it happened to be that God in his wonderful goodness caused me to hear this message. Now, I didn't understand it at first because it was so unusual, it was so different than, than what I had ever heard in Christian circles about walking by faith, that living like something you can't see is true and real and living like what is unseen is going to happen. Taking God at his word. If he said it's going to be, then that's what you do. Our next verse in Numbers 23, verse 19, you can look at it now. 
Because he said here that this is the essence of the faith life. It is seeing God as who God is and honoring God by doing what he said here. He said, God is not a man that he should lie. Nor is he the son of man that he should repent. But hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? You know, essentially, that's what we're all about anyway as Christians. It is God who saved us, not a preacher. It was God who saved us and not a church. It wasn't a system of man, some organized religion that saved us. It was God. We have a choice in this life, either serving the system and being a good Method Baptist Presbycostal or being a Christian, a Christ follower. If we're going to be a Christ follower, we have to find out who Christ was. And if we're going to follow him, we have to know what he wants us to do in following him. The Bible says he left us an example. And so it's for us to discover what it is. And I remember those early days back to that very point I'm talking to you about when I heard that maybe the first time. See, I grew up in a church that just preached. We had preaching sermons on Sunday. I grew up like most of you did. I just went to church to hear a sermon. Nobody ever explained it. Because that's how you get fired when you start explaining what the, what the Bible says. Because then you begin to be convicted and your conscience begins to bother you when somebody explains the Bible. If you just tell me what it says, that's fine. But don't explain to me what it means. Because when you do that, I have to think about it. Well, I did. And I would hear these things. I you know, listen to a tape or something. And I would listen to that. And I think, well, how can these things be? I mean, how is this possible? Because I've, I've been around church my whole life, and, and nobody in the church that I grew up in uh, is even close to this. I, I've never known anybody that, that lived like that or acted like that or walked that way. And yet I couldn't deny it because there it was in my Bible. I could read it. And I would ask the question. I would challenge God because the natural mind will do that. You know, this mind that we have was trained by the world, by the educational system, by your friends, your mistakes, accidents, confusions, everything computes in your mind. This is how you react in the world. This is why there's so much anger and confusion, why people give up easy. It's just the way we were trained. And my mind would recoil at some of the things that God would say. Like it would say, by his stripes you were healed. And I think, well, that couldn't be so. I mean, look at all the sick people in the church. I mean, our preacher was busy every Sunday going to hospitals and visiting the sick. And yet the Bible said something like, you know, I would that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Well, how could that be? These are good. These are church people. Why aren't they well? Prosper, why is it that we're so much in debt and people are always complaining about money and debt? I mean, when the Bible says just the opposite, and we talks about griping and complaining, and, he, and God judges that all that stuff. And I said, well, then why do we keep doing it? Is it because we've never been taught? Maybe. Or maybe it's because we've never had explained to us. Maybe it was never broken down and detailed, and, and we never had a chance to look at that in light of a personal relationship to God. Do I aspire to live like this? Is it in my heart as a so-called Christian to want to take up the cross and follow at the expense of being persecuted, misunderstood, fired, separated, whatever? Am I really willing to do that? And, and of course, the answer was, I, I don't think so. I just came here to hear sermons, not to get convicted. But I got convicted because I got saved on June 30th, 1968. And I remember listening to the things I was hearing. It was new to me. And so it was just a little bit here, a little bit more. And you begin to take a step in that direction. Nobody else had ever done it. I had no pattern to follow. There's nobody I ever knew that lived like this. Nobody. And I thought, well, I do see it. So you be start trusting God with little things. Maybe if you believe God heals and you had a headache. I don't think I've had headaches before. Maybe years ago, but not in 50 years. But I mean, sometimes people have headaches. And 
let's just use that as, as an example. And I would say, well, and when I had a headache, I'd always go to the bathroom in the, uh, uh, what's that thing called? The door opens up where the mirror is, where you keep your Bible. And I would uh, get the regular antidote for a headache. That's a couple of aspirins. That's what you do. I mean, who doesn't? And yet, there was something different about what was in my heart then. And many of you know what I'm talking about. That said, didn't God promise to take care of you? Did he not say that he was the Lord that healeth thee? And you couldn't say no because you just read it. And I would say, well, yes. Well, then why don't you act like that's true? That's what faith does. You don't feel any better. He didn't say you'd look better after you prayed. He didn't say you'd feel better. He just said, when you pray, believe. Down the road somewhere, God does the manifestation. And I thought, well, this pain, I don't like pain. Well, nobody does. If you like pain, you need deliverance. Nobody does, but it's so often a part of life in some way with some people. So you decide, okay, I'm just going to trust the Lord that his word is medicine to my flesh, Proverbs 4. I'd read that. Didn't make sense, but I'd read that. So I said, okay, I'm going to prove God and take him at his word. And it got worse, as they usually do, and, you know, you feel like this. And, and in your mind, your brain, which is trained by the world, said, you are certified nuts. This is not even Christian for you to have to put up with this when God invented aspirins, they said. Somebody said that. And I said, well, why would he give us that and then give us his word and call his word medicine? And, and uh, somebody needs that back there. But he said to me, you just need to trust the Lord. And so I did. And after a while, it left. And maybe that's why I can say tonight I haven't had one since. I don't know if it was what I first dealt with or not. I'm use that as an example. But I know this, that God does deliver us. And we have to learn to trust him. Well, I was learning to trust him. It was a small thing. So we just kept going to doing this. One time threw away all the antihistamines in the house. When our family doctor had told us back then that you'll have to take antihistamines the rest of your life. You and, and, and one of your sons, you'll, you know, we have to be, otherwise we get clogged up and and runny nose and sneezing and all that all the time. And, and he said, well, you have allergies or, or sinus problems or whatever it was, and you'll have to take this prescription the rest of your life, antihistamines. So one day the question came, well, now God didn't say I'd have to do that. That isn't what God said. Because this is how I learned. I didn't just say, well, the Lord's the Lord that heals me. Well, I would say if the Lord is the Lord that heals me, then why aren't I well? Why am I taking these pills? Then I would read the little bit that I had learned because I took a lot of notes and I'd go over that again. Now, he said right there, the Bible says, I don't know anybody that believes this. I don't know anybody that's ever walked this way. I have nobody to go talk to, but I know what he said. So we started dumping out all of that kind of stuff, knowing, you know, in your mind, your natural mind says, boy, what are you going to do now? You know, when it, bleh, come, what are you going to do? Well, actually, it never came. We just didn't never need it again. All these years, never needed to go back to any of it. We call that deliverance. That's the form of it. And it all came about, not because of superior knowledge or intellect or anything else, but because by revelation, God showed something that you had enough courage, willingness, put it that way, you were willing to act like you were what God said you were. And that acting like is what the Bible calls faith. You're taking God at his word, believing that what God said will come to pass. Because he said in Numbers 23, you're looking at it. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. This is what makes God God to those who walk by faith. That what he says, he does. He doesn't say things he can't do. He said in Genesis 18, Jeremiah 32, that nothing is too hard for him. God doesn't make a promise he cannot keep. God doesn't make a promise he did not intend to keep. But all promises have conditions, and it's up to us to meet those conditions. And when we do, 
and there's a connection, then what he says comes to pass. It becomes our testimony. This is what alerts people to something unusual, something different. I mean, we're so used to seeing everything negative in life. We see people sick. We see people broke. We hear people crying and whining about this. We see people angry all the time. And no matter what the preacher says, we continue that way because that's what we believe. What we act like, how we act is what we believe. When we are snarling and ugly and upset, that's what you believe. You're acting your faith. Your faith is in what you did. Turning the cheek is not in our program, but as you read it, you'll come to it. Eventually, you'll come to it. And loving your brother as yourself and so forth. But we started out with the fact that God cannot lie. If he said something, it has to be so. It cannot be a lie. If he said, I am the Lord that heals you, I am the Lord that protects you, I will give my angels charge concerning you, that they will keep you in all your ways, then that's what he does. He cannot say that and then turn around and say, well, not for you, because his word is steadfast. This is what makes God, God, and what, is, and what becomes the basis of our faith. Well, I'm counting on something that's a sure thing. Now, listen, I can go to the pop machine, and I may get, nine times out of ten, I'm going to get that Coke or whatever I went, put the money in there to get. There may be a time I won't. Because you can't always be sure that what is made by the lowest bidder always works. But God never fails. Now, we may talk like, well, I tried it and it didn't work. You can talk that way, but that's not true. If I had to choose between the two of you, I said, you have lied because God does not lie. And if he said he will do it, then he does it. Now, this is where it started. I want to go back tonight. I made this determination this, this week. As I look back in, in my life, 40-some years, time since I've been here, seen a lot of good successes, I would like for everybody in this congregation, when it's over, when it's time to go, when it's your turn, I'd like for everybody to be able to stand before God in favor, having lived on his terms, that is, living by faith, because he said the just shall live by faith, that is, we were taught how to take him at his word and not believe it because the preacher said it. Not believe it because we read it in somebody's book, but we believe it because it's in the Bible. And even though we didn't fully understand it, the deck was stacked against us intellectually because we feel like we're doing such a dumb thing. Yet we took that step of faith, honored God, maybe got persecuted, endured some pain, and walked some things out and looked pretty dumb to a lot of people, but God brought us out and delivered us from ever having to go through this stuff again. Seemed like we win to me. And I want to be able to say that we have taught and we have learned, we have made a decision and a choice to walk by faith. Now, here's how I feel. I feel like Jehoshaphat probably felt. He followed the first ways of his father, David, and God blessed everything he did. Now, he said, I would think he said that if this worked for David, then it'll work for me. And I would like to say to you, if what I have learned in my life and experienced, if it worked for me, it'll work for you. Because there's no difference in us. I mean, I'm same as you are, I'm a human being. And if all we need is to get a connection with the Lord and make a quality decision to use our will to say, okay, I will. Maybe it's take a little step at first, but take a step. And begin to walk in the way that God is showing us because we have been made right with God, have we not? And if we have been made right with God, how do we live? By faith, that's right, because it's what our first verse so if we begin to walk by faith, living like something we can't see is true, living like something I haven't seen is coming to pass, taking somebody's word, I haven't even heard a voice, but I read what that person said and I have to believe that what he said is eternal and he cannot lie. This book is steadfast, it's certain. And the only way I can prove that to you and to God and probably to the devil 
is to live like it's true. And it's not easy to do. But God can do anything. How many of you know there's no limit to the power of God? There is nothing too hard for God, not even you or me. There is nothing about us that he cannot refine and make right. I don't care what our past was. I don't care how bad we were. Doesn't matter. God is able to take what, we, what he brought to himself. We didn't choose him. He chose us. And when he brought us to him, we were so unrefined that he has to be called the refiner's fire and he begins to purify us. The trials, the tribulations, the word he speaks and the ways that we walk and the things we walk through and the struggle we have in this life and we do it God's way and not the world's way and we begin to make these kind of decisions that our friends try to talk us out of and your family gets concerned about you when you do it. And yet we begin to trust him and walk this way and one day you begin to realize, you weren't aware of it at the time, but one day you look back at the last few years and you're at peace, you're blessed, you're out of debt. You haven't been sick in, you know, in 30 years. It works. And you have to honor God. You have to say, praise the Lord. That's a good thing to do. But God has no limits. Look, at, if you will, at Ephesians 3, just for a moment, in verse 20. This is one of those verses that you ought to underline or memorize. Because it tells us about God who he is and what he does. He is not a man that he should lie to the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will bring it to pass. Now unto him, God, who is able to do what? What does your Bible say God is able to do? Exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Now only God can say that. There is no other so-called God in the world that can do that. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God, it says to us, to encourage us, whatever our problems and circumstances are tonight, he said God is able to do more than what you're asking him to do. He can go way beyond what you're asking for. You're asking him for a new car, he'd give you a new house. You're asking him for a, a, a sack of groceries. He could give you a 10 sacks of groceries because he's able. I'm not saying that he will. It does. But I said he is able to do that. And that's what we have to see. The one that's called me to trust him and take him at his word is unlimited. His power is without measure. There's nothing too hard for him. Even so much so that he can keep you from falling. Can you imagine? The next to the last book in the Bible says, Now unto him, that's God, who is able to keep you from falling and you to present you faultless before the throne of his glory. That's judgment. Without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. God is able to do this with ordinary people like us in this time of life in this crazy world. He is so able to influence you to get your heart and bring a word to your heart that has such an immense impact in your life that you're willing to give up whatever you have to give up to do what he wants. And God marvelously joins himself to your life, makes things happen the way he said they would. Like Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil. Goodness and mercy are following me everywhere I go in this life. Of whom should I fear, Romans 8 says, of what should I be afraid? If God be for me, what difference does it make what's going on in the world? Or who's president? Or who's emperor? Or who's chief cook and bottle washer? What difference does it make? Whose side are you on? You just read it. We sang Psalm 3 a while ago. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. There's a lot of people camped around about who would love to see you destroyed. None of us know yet politically what's going to happen with regard to Christian freedoms. You might be surprised at coming year or years how the forces of this world would like to choke down the efforts of Christianity. 
and eliminate its influence from society. But don't take that lightly. Because one of the things that uh, the liberal side of the political world would like to do is get rid of religion. And in essence, that means just get rid of convictions. Because you can't party and have a good time if you got this gnawing siren going off on the inside of you. If you can get the, the Ten Commandments. All the Ten Commandments do is tell you what sin is. All ten of them. And you broke them all. Yeah, people think there's some kind of a, if I could just touch them or see them in my yard and everything will go well. The Ten Commandments is God's standard for a righteous and holy life, which we all failed. But it does exalt God. But the devil wants to get rid of all that. I think he even wants to get Santa Claus out of the system now. Maybe the bunny rabbit too. I don't know. There's just an element in society that despises God. But we're told that in the Bible. Haters of God in the last days. The last days. They just come out of the woodwork. Where have they been all these years? They were there all the time. They've just, this is the time. This is the time of the end. Haters of God. Despisers of those that are good. People that are unruly, unholy, unthankful. They hate their parents. It even says that one day the kids will turn in their parents and the parents will turn in their kids. There's something wrong and twisted in this hour. We're warned about all of this because this, these things that we see are not to influence our fear of trusting in God. We're, God says, don't, don't worry about that. I'm your shield. I'm your defense. No evil shall befall you. No plague come now your dwelling. A thousand shall fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it won't come nigh you because God is able to oversee all the events of this world and all the actions of men. And he's got you in the palm of his hand. And he wants you to manifest to him your recognition of his goodness and his grace by trusting him to do what he said. There's no higher way to honor God in this life. There's nothing greater any of us can do in this life than to take him at his word and live like it's true, even if, even if, to put his word above your own life. I think the Bible teaches that. And so this, is, this Numbers 23, 19 is a, is a verse which, which just shows us that this is what God is. He doesn't tell you things he doesn't do. If he said something, he'll do it. If your Bible has 8,000 promises in it, somebody count them once. If your Bible has 8,000 promises, they don't belong to the world. They belong to you. Now, I don't care who tries to talk you out of it. Promises weren't made aimlessly, thoughtlessly, or without regard. The promises the Bible says specifically were made to Abraham and his seed. Well, that be for the Jewish people. No, not to seeds, plural, like seeds is a bunch of people, but to his seed, that is one. Galatians speaks of this, that seed is Christ. For in him, we live and move and have our being, and all the promises are in him, Christ, yes, and amen. And if you are in Christ, all things are yours. You're seated with him in heavenly places like any other saved person is, Jew or Gentile. Going back for this again, this idea in my mind to arm myself with this, that God is bigger than life. God cannot be contained. God is more than I can say. And because he is unlimited and he is omnipotent, omnipotent, because he has all power and no man can stop him from performing his word if he said he's going to do it. And all he's asked me to do is to trust him to do what he said. Then nobody can stop that either. The only thing that can stop that is me doubting. Like he told Peter when he began to sink, he said, why did you doubt? Why did you let go? You became fearful of everything. You looked around. You remembered you grew up being afraid and you looked around and you got fearful again. Even though the word you were walking on the water, you had the same power Jesus had. You're standing on the same problem with the water. He said, you didn't have to doubt. But he shows us the little things in the Bible that, that our walk of faith 
is based on the fact that we have, as God, the source of our faith, unlimited, unchanging power. The same yesterday, today, and forever. That nothing is too hard for him, and if he said it, he will do it. So see, faith comes down to this. Faith is a willingness on my part to take God at his word. That's what it is. It's true if you bought a car and you bought a new car, say, and you had a manual, an operator's manual in the glove box, what's it for? To show you how to enjoy your car, wouldn't it? Or how to operate all the gadgets, if it has gadgets. Or where the gas tank release button is. How embarrassing. (laughs) But you have a manual there that should leave you not ignorant, but knowledgeable about what you have. So you can enjoy what you got. But if you don't read the manual, what happens? If you set it aside, you assume they're all the same. You know, they all run, they all burn gas, they all have a motor, they all have tires, doors, sun visors, steering wheels, and buttons, seats, and a trunk. I mean, they're all the same. You've been in one, you've been in all of them. You've gone to one church, you've been in all of them. They're all the same. One preacher's no different than any other preacher. And yet, you get a manual for a car that's, let's say, is a little more technical. It's got way too many lights and buttons and switches on it. And, and you get in there and you say, whoa. That's what we do with Christianity. We come in here and we hear all of these things that I described while ago. And I said, whoa, how does this work? Well, read the manual. Read the book. Well, how do I know this will work? I mean, how do I know? I knew people that uh, they went to church and they died and they, they didn't get well. They went broke. How do I know I'm any different? Read the book. Read the manual. Don't accuse God of lying. If he said he would and somebody said he didn't, don't believe them. God doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind about his promises. All the promises are yes and amen. So be it. So don't blame him for all these failures that other people have. Just just look at it and see what it says and then be willing to say, well, if God said it, then it's got to be so. I can't see God. I've never seen him. I've never heard an audible voice speak to me. I've never had a physical experience with God. I cannot verify the reality of God by a human experience. I cannot. I have to take as true what the invisible God has recorded in a book. And the book has no original copies. It's been recopied so many times that the scholarly people say that there's got to be inaccuracies in it because it's been recopied. Because that's the way a natural man would see it. God's not big enough to them to to keep his word clean. Oh, no, you know, man puts a mistake. It's like God couldn't prevent that. Oh, no, it's it's full of... uh, full of myths and things, as though God could not prevent myths and things from being in it. So there's no way in the natural you could get a Bible with no original autographs that is exactly what God wanted. And so intellectual man assumes that the Bible is only partially true, that it contains the word of God, but you can't be sure that every word is the word of God because in his natural mind, God uh, is like us. You know, you copy it enough, you're going to miss a word, a period, a sentence, a the, a to, a at, all, or something. And therefore, you can't. And yet, we come to it, oh, simple us, or I'll leave you out. Oh, simple me. Oh, dumb Tom. I just say, you know, if God is as big as he says he is, then he is able, what's that, what's that theological word, preservation of Scripture? That he is able in his might not only to direct the pen that the man writing writes so that everything he writes is the word that God said right. 
It wasn't a figment of a man's imagination. Well, God said, say this, the man put it in his own work. No, his hand wrote the very things that God wanted him to write. And God is able in his bigness and greatness to preserve that word down through the centuries, through all the conquering countries and the hideous things that happened to God's people for centuries. God is able to preserve it and keep it right. Now, that's what I believe. I can't prove what I just said. I don't think anybody can prove it. Maybe, maybe somebody can. I don't know about it. That could be so. But most people can't prove it. So what are we left with? The uncertainty of a book we call the Bible that may or may not be true? Is that why it didn't work for a lot of people? Because it, it's not exactly true that way? Or does it work because God said it will work? It's man's responsibility to do things God's way. That's the condition. If he doesn't do that, then God doesn't, God doesn't perform it. So we look at this book and we say, well, I can't prove it's true, but I believe. I believe it's been handed down to me in this hour, in my lifetime, beginning in 1968, last century before some of you were born, before a bunch of you were born. But last century, when this started, and I'd sit there in that desk with that light on wondering about these words, it was God and an act of God. As Paul wrote, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the illumination of a man's mind so that what was not clear became real to him. And suddenly no more. It was a question, well, how do I know that's true? Your heart was able to say what's true because God said it. It's not true because somebody can prove it's true. It's true because God said it, whether man can prove it or not. But this is the word of God. This is all we've got. This is all we have, a word. And as I started to say a while ago, God, I've never seen or heard, but I read what he said he wrote. Now, he said all scripture is inspired. It's all written down as God had it to be written down exactly the way he wanted it written down with all those people that wrote it, whether they were kings and priests or monks. He had it written down the way he wanted it written down. And what he gave to us is a word he says live by this. Now, this is all we got. This is all that we have. But when we live by faith, when we walk by faith and we live this life by faith, we live as though God cannot lie. His word is certain. If he said, if I call upon the name of the Lord, I shall be saved, I believe I am. I've never seen the Lamb's book of life. I've never heard angels rejoicing before the throne because nearly half a century ago, a, a young man came to the Lord. But I believe. I believe that God heard it. I believe God did something in my heart. I know he did. I believe the reason I changed direction in my life and, and walked in a whole new existence that lost all my old friends is because of what God did. Not only did his word mean something now, but his life meant something. Now, I remember this. Now, I want to go back. This is the introduction. I want to go back as a pastor in this church. I want to take you back where I was, what I heard the first time when this message confronted me about faith and the influence it had on me. And I look back at all the things that's happened over the years. I want the same thing to happen to us. And it begins with Romans 10. Would you turn to Romans chapter 10? You see, God has determined that faith is how we will live and appropriate promises. Remember we said a while ago about these 8,000 promises? You can't read much in the Bible without reading a promise. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will bless you. The Lord will sustain you. The Lord will preserve you. Uh, God will bless you going in and going out. God will bless everything you put your hand. How can you read much in the Bible without those promises? 
How many of you want promises to come to pass for you? Well, I really do. And I remember, again, I'm going back because I'm going back where, where I was. I really wanted those things to happen too. I had never seen them happen. I knew nobody that it had happened to. There was nobody I could go talk to and say, how'd you do it? I grew up, was born again in a dead church with what appeared to be indifferent people who were satisfied with only a 20-minute sermonette every Sunday morning and a preacher who tried very hard to do good. It was a performance, and that's all I grew up with. Went to Sunday school class with a teacher one day that didn't, somebody said, well, what about the verse in Ephesians? And the teacher said, I remember that. Is that Old or New Testament? I didn't know myself. I said, I think it's in the New. I mean, the teacher had no knowledge. What are we going to learn? If the preacher or the teacher doesn't even know what God has said, how can the people who listen to such things know what God has said? And if you tell me what God said, but you don't explain it to my uncertain mind, how can I ever decipher what God said? How can I know? I can't know. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Why? that I can walk in thy truth. If you don't teach me, I can. I can hear about it, sing songs about it. I just can't live it. And eventually I'll lose heart and I'll get disinterested and I'll begin to ignore it. And then I'll walk in the, the, the lust of my flesh and the pride of life and I'll miss heaven. Before we read Romans chapter 10, let me say this. There's a fourfold purpose that God has for you living by faith, walking by faith. Four things. Let me just brief this. This is a whole message in itself. First of all, God wants us to walk by faith to teach us that he is to be the source of our life. He is the one to whom we should trust. Now, we have in this world, we have this system over here for this. We got the, this over here for this. We got this for this. And we got all these other systems of man for all these other things in life so that we really don't need God unless the doctors or the system says, we can't do any more for you. We can't help you. And then we turn to God. Not that we believe that he'll do anything, but hope maybe if we turn to him, he will. And he doesn't because that's not the basis of faith. I mean, the faith is not saying, will you please try to do? Faith is believing that when you pray, he heard you. And if he hears you, then you know you have it. Then you act like you have it because that's what faith does. I don't feel better. I don't look better, but I believe. There's just not many people like that. And I remember the challenge again in my own life to act like that. But God wants us to have faith to teach us to look to him to supply all of our needs. Because again, 8,000 promises weren't made to the world. They were ours. They were for us. There's not a single need in anybody's life in this room. Not one. Not a single need that God hasn't made provision for in the Bible. Now we can live without that need ever being met because we may not know any better or we may not be sure. But the need has been met. You got to believe it. What if young Kenneth here came up to me and he said, uh, Brother Hamilton, I've had a real good year as a fireman. I've climbed the ladder, rescued cats, dogs, and human beings. I've been a real hero, and, I, and this year I made a whole lot of money, more money than anybody in this church. Now, I went down to the bank and put $5,000 in your checking account. Now, I look at Kenneth and I say, you ain't got $5,000, but you can't tell a book by looking at the cover either. Now, let's say he went down to the bank and put $5,000 in Tom Hamilton's account. Now, is that a fact? You already know what a fact is. It's real, something that is real, absolutely sure, a fact. Now, the money in the bank is a fact, isn't it, Kenneth? It is, all right? The money is in the bank. Now, what will make me benefit from it? What if I say, like Christians do, well, that's a good word. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else been in the bank? No. If I don't take him at his word, what happens? I've got the money, don't I? Why am I not enjoying it? 
I didn't believe it. I heard him say it. I was there when he said it. You heard him say it. But it didn't do me any good because I thought, well, he got $5,000. I ain't about to write a check for whatever. Well, that's not. Now, I can live the rest of my life well below the level of $5,000 when I could have enjoyed it. Do you agree? Because it was there all the time. My problem was my hookup, my relationship to him was not strong, and therefore I did not believe what he said. As I've said before, use this example many times. I set my son on a kitchen counter years ago and stepped back far enough that it was a challenge, and I said, jump, I'll catch you. He'd never done it before. He'd never seen me catch him before. I was his dad. I'm, he showed me that he trusts me because eventually, after, you know, after doing this here for two minutes, he finally jumped. Now, you could come in there. You know, you could look like Hulk Hogan or whoever, whoever is muscly today. You could walk, he could walk in there and say, hey, David, jump and I'll catch you too. And he might not jump to you. Why? Because he doesn't know you. He's able. He's got more power than his daddy had. But the boy doesn't know this man. He might not jump. Such is the problem with a lot of Christians. God wants us to approach his word as though if he said it, he will do it. And if he said he will do it, and I listen to what he said, and all these marvelous promises have been made by God to me, then why aren't I, why aren't, is that right? Why aren't, why am I not? Why ain't? Why ain't I getting it? Well, there's a problem with me and my source. But faith takes care of that. Faith says, I'm going to believe that when I jump, he's going to keep his end of the word. He's going to catch me. You know what the world teaches today? Jump, I'll catch you. And then you jump, he'd jump out of the way and let him fall on the ground, squalling for his mother. And then dad says, that just goes teachable. Don't you trust anybody in this life? Well, thank God, God isn't that kind of a father, is he? But God wants us to trust him. A second thing that as a, a reason and purpose for our faith, it's a way that God wants us to glorify him. You realize that your faith glorifies God? Let me show you. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter one. And verse 20. I'm sure you've read this before. It may have been a while. For all the promises of God, how many are there? Well, they might, there might be 8,000 of them. Let's just play like there's 8,000 promises. For all the promises. Now, does that mean all of them? Let me ask another question. Is this book, 1 Corinthians, is it written to Jews or Gentiles? Say Gentiles. Corinthians weren't Jews. So this book was not written to Jews as though they exclusively had all the rights and promises made to them and none to us. No, he said to the Gentile church, said, all the promises of God are in him, that's Jesus, are yes, and in him, amen, for what goal? To the glory of God, how? By us. This is what God says. All the promises are yes. You don't have to concern, well, and I know God said that, but how do I know that he'll do it? Because he said he would. Well, my Uncle John, he, you know, he, I don't care what Uncle John, Aunt Lucille, anybody. If God said it, he'll do it. That's where we started. This is how it started. This is how you do it. This is where you go. When he said that all the promises are yes, then I don't have to worry about him not wanting to do it for me. Well, God could, but he may not want to. You know, he may want you sick or he may want you decrepit or broke or down in the dumps or suicidal for his glory. I don't think so. I don't have to think. I know not. That's not true because the Bible doesn't say that. Man said that. Man added that to the Bible, but God didn't say that. And he said in this book, he said, these promises are Yes. And they're amen. If you ask me twice, yes, amen. For this purpose, to the glory of God, that God might be glorified. I can't tell you how many times in the Bible Jesus worked a miracle of some sort 
and the people glorified and praised the Lord. There was a lot of sick people. They could have walked by and said, praise the Lord. Look how decrepit these folks are. Praise the Lord. Jesus could have walked down the streets and said, be sick for my glory, but he never did. Never did. He was in the business of setting the captives free. They were in bondage, so he was come to set them free, and he did. He worked miracles, the lunatic, the insane, the, uh, the sick, the feeble, those whose bodies were broken and twisted and distorted, those who had no life, laying on a pallet, unable to fend and take care of themselves. He healed them all. And that's recorded to show us that nothing is too hard for God. And when we do things God's way, he gets the glory for it. Sure, they criticize us. Well, you're crazy. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard until they see later on in life that you're different. At first they say, oh, he's lucky. He's lucky. And then 10 years, 15 years later, they, they look at you and say, well, I don't know what you've done, but you've done something right. Well, I didn't do anything. I believe something. I just believe something. I'm just an ordinary man like you, and, and, and I can read the same as you can. I just simply took a little more time to ask some questions. Why isn't this working for me? Why isn't this working for multitudes of people? It can't be a problem with God because he said all the promises are yes. These are to bring him glory. If I gave you a testimony, as I've done lots of times, if I gave you a testimony of some wonderful thing that God did for me, what's the purpose of it? To praise me? No. No, it's to give thanks to God and to encourage you. That's what these things are for, to bring glory unto God. The third thing that these promises do is that they're designed to mature us. I do want you to turn to 2 Peter for this, uh, just for a moment. I'll get to Romans 10 in a minute, I think. But turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. This is a loaded verse. I mean, it's just one of these verses you can talk about for a week. 2 Peter chapter 1. Listen at these words. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge. We spoke about that Sunday a little bit. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us everything that pertains unto life and godliness. Has it been done? Look at me. Everything that you need in this life that pertains to your life and godliness has already been given. You don't have to say, why doesn't God do something? He already has. It's in the book. It's in this book. And he says concerning that, it's through, verse 3, through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. I think that's the problem today. I think there is a woeful neglect of the study of God's word, of the knowledge of what God has said. An unholy disregard to investigate scripture to see what it says. And to ask yourself the personal questions. Do I live like that? Is that working for me? And why isn't it working? Why don't I do that? Things that get your conscience into play. You get your conscience and your conviction working, you'll walk this way. If you try to avoid it by not asking questions, not listening to a sermon, falling asleep, or going somewhere else, chances are you'll remain as you were. Verse 4. Whereby are given unto us great and precious promises that by these promises you might be partaker, in verse 3, of that divine nature. Where is this divine nature? Where do I find it? It's speaking of God, isn't it? The nature of God, which is divine, where is it? Well, we know that he is... He's God. He's, he's at all places at once. There's no place he has to go to be there. He's all in all. Jesus said the Father is greater than I because when he was here, he was right here. He was God in the human body, but God is spirit at all times, at all places, omnipotent, all everything. Always knowing nothing is passes his mind. He knows the hairs of your head, the size of your shoes. He knows everything. And coming, coming down to that and coming down to 
to who God is and all these things. He said, through the knowledge of God, he's given unto us all these promises that by these promises, you, as you partake of the promises, you partake of his divine nature. And it went on to say, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Well, God offered you a promise to show you that you don't have to turn to the world. He has a better way. Listen, I'm not against doctors and medicines and hospitals and drugs. I'm not against any of that. Because there's a world out there that would die hopelessly without that. And there's a lot of good people that I know, a lot of good Christians that, that would have, may not be here if it wasn't for that. So I'm not against that. But what I'm saying is that for us as Christians, we have something better. There's something offered to us that is better, whether we realize Kenny's 5,000, I mean, whether we realize it was in the Word or not, it's been given to us. Seek and you'll find, and God will begin to give you that motive, to, uh, that motivation, step by step, little by little, every day, and you just keep walking this way. From glory to glory to glory. He increases, you decreases, and things begin to change. But this divine nature. God holds a promise out there in front of you. Maybe it's something you really always wanted. Maybe it was, I ain't going to say a husband or a wife because there's too many of you that would just, but maybe you always wanted a new automobile of some sort or a really nice one of some sort, and you never had really a nice car. You just got by, and that's all you ever knew. You were willing to live just getting by, but now you're inspired as I once was, do you believe that God can give you a new car? Well, how about a better used one? New car is kind of over my head. All right, so use your better used car faith. Use it. Start somewhere. And so the car out there became an object of faith. Doesn't the Bible say faith is the substance of things hoped for or expected? Doesn't faith take God at his word that if God said it, you believe it? So, all right, I believe I have this new car or this newer use, better used car. And I'm going to confess it because that'll be part of the series. I, like I told my dad, he said, son, one day driving our old yellow 67 Oldsmobile. It was a good car, but when I claimed the newer one, this thing went south. He said, son, you need a new car. He said, you should go down to the bank and get one. Your mom and I will sign for it. This is after I learned to owe no man anything. I can't do that. I said, well, yes, th thanks. But I said, I've already got one. And I'm talking to my dad as a Catholic. And what I just said it, it was tongues. And I said, well, I've, I've already got one. He said, I remember on the passenger side driving down Level Street, Monroe Street in Charlestown, Indiana. You've already got one. Yeah. Where is it? I said, well, I don't know yet. God hadn't given it to me yet. Can, you know what my dad was probably thinking? Can you imagine what my daddy, who was a natural mind and a natural man, probably what he was thinking about his son, his baby son, after all these years and all this stuff, what's wrong with you, boy? Now, he wouldn't say that. But I confess what I believe. I believe I have another car. Didn't God say he would give me one? Is it not so if I can't see it? Or is faith the evidence of things not seen? Well, I don't see it, but I can still believe it. And God cannot lie, and I'm inspired to believe it. And, and, and ask for it. I can't see it yet, but I believe I have one. Praise the Lord. And people say, you know, I don't know what you're into, or what kind of religion, whatever kind of things come into your life. But uh, you're really going off the deep end. They all said that at first. If they didn't say it, they thought it. Then one day he rolled up in the yard, in the churchyard, with a brand new car. I didn't ask for new, and I had to ask for a better use. But God is able to, uh, somebody help me do exceeding. Uh, I had a brand new one. This is a brand new, no miles, clean looking, smelling car. Everybody came out, and, you know, they, it's like, like there's only one made, only only car in the world that ever been made. Uh, wow. Open the door. Yeah, wow. 
It's a Ford. I mean, I don't blame them for looking at a Ford like that, but I mean, they all kind of looked at it. And then they question us, uh, where's he get it? Where's he get it? They tried to be cool. Said, uh, so where'd you get it, Tom? I told you all the Lord was going to give me one, and this is, this is it. This is it. And I know, but, <laughs> but how'd you get it? I, I just told you. The Lord gave it to me. Somebody sent me some money. I don't know who it was. I took the money to a, a Ford dealer who called me and told me to come to his place and give him that money in my car, and the new one was there waiting for me, paid for I don't know any more than that. Oh, come on, tell us. I won't tell anybody. That's all I know, and I don't want to know who that other person was. To this day, I don't want to know. But it verified to me that I don't care who you are, if you're willing to take a step of faith, God will make a difference in your life. That he is able to do exceeding abundantly. And this car, though, before I got in it and drove it, it became a problem for me because the one I was driving got worse. But as it got worse, I was exposed. Because see, here I am a preacher of righteousness. Now, I didn't know I was fretful. But, you know, one day the tire goes flat. Well, it had never been flat before. Not until I claimed a new one. It had never been flat. It had always done well. Pretty blue came out the back of the exhaust. Never done that before. A rattle in the peck in the motor here. Never done that before. And then the delay of what I'm asking for, it didn't come in that week. It didn't come in the next week. I claimed the car two or three weeks later. By this time, everybody was feeling sorry for you. And your old car, you know, <laughs> and it was like in those days when I'm just, God would say, freeze. You go. As long as God said, now look at you. You're a big old, you're a big time overcomer, deep walker, big time faith man. Look at this. Look at this. Felt like putting that tire tool through the back window a couple times because that crooked wrench, you know, you take off the, uh, you men would know what I'm talking about. A tire tool, they're bent out and they slip off that lug nut easy. And you're fretful anyway, and you're about a half mad because you're in a hurry to go somewhere, and your tire's flat, and you've got to change this tire in a hurry. You just had a shower, and it's warm out. And the first time you go down, it goes in the dirt, and gravel gets in this side with all the red. And my nature, because the family I grew up with, I got that from my daddy. I wanted to take that tire tool. Bow! Right through the back of that window and say, now! <laughs> but I'm sure if I'd done that, and I looked down, the tire would still been flat. I'm sure that tired and go, oh, you scared me. <laughs> I never had a problem with doing this kind of stuff until I claimed a promise. And then when I claimed the promise, boy, I went through this and through that and until I realized until you calm down and take no thought, this ain't going to work. Because you're not acting the way God wants you to act. This is not Christianity, the way you're acting. Nobody can see you, so nobody's going to quit listening to you. But this, you're, not, you're not living the way I want you to. Turn to James chapter 1, because we're going to have to close. James chapter 1, look at verses 3 and 4. This is what I'm talking about now and about this car. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' trials or temptations, knowing this. Back to knowing. Knowing this, that the testing of what you say you believe works what? Patience. Really, the word is endurance. There's two words for patience. One is slow to anger. One is endurance. And this is the word endurance. And let in this enduring process have its perfect work so that you may be what? Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't that God's goal for you? The measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ in Ephesians 4. Yes, it is. Now, back to where I started, this goal of your faith, the purpose of your faith not only is to teach you to trust him to supply your needs and to magnify him, but it also has in the deepest sense your maturity to bring you to a place where there's nothing in you that he needs to judge. That your life is clean and without spot before him. You have lined up with him and he finds approval in your life without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This is what the great cleanser and the great refiner does to our lives. 
but he often dangles a promise out there in front of you and you grab a hold of it and then you have to believe until it is manifested. And in the meantime, a lot of people quit and you know it and I know it. They give up. It's just too hard, too long, too slow, too proper, something. It's too something. But the difference, I think, between those who will be a testimony to others and those who don't is hanging in there. And the fourth thing, I said there were four things about the purpose of your faith. The fourth thing is that God gives us all these promises to show us our need for faith because that's the only thing you've got that can claim them. The only thing you have to appropriate for yourself the promises of God is your faith. And remember, he said that without faith, you cannot what? Hebrews eleven six. what does it say? Without faith, we cannot please him. So if we want to please God, it has to be faith. We have no options here, folks. There's no substitutes for this life. You're either in or you're out. You're either for it or you're not. It's that simple. It's that profound. This is the way. There's not another way, but it is the way. This is the way to walk in. And this is what God wants us to do. If thou canst believe, he said. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to you. To you. Your father made that, made that promise to you and me. How do we start this walk? How do we engage? <coughs> Romans ten seventeen, and we'll start there next week. So then faith cometh. Faith cometh by getting up at four o'clock in the morning, walking three miles, reading two chapters, eating a bowl of organic cereal. No, there's, no, there's nothing you do except rely on, turn to, and trust in the Lord. Faith comes by hearing. If I don't hear him, what do I have? I have an opinion. I have a doctrine. I have a system of man. People like that. But I don't have the Lord. Amen. Bow your head with me. Father, bless your words to our hearts. We need it. Let us not forget what you say. Lay conviction on all of us. Engage our conscience, Lord. Teach us your way. Deal with us as you would with children. A father who cares about the way his children act to correct us and lead us in a right way. In this way, I ask you to bless us, not only tonight, but in all the days of our life, as long as we live. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.